The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. What's up? What's up? All my BBWU barrier breaking women out there taking names, no apologies, unapologetic about who you are, what you're doing, and the barriers that you're breaking. It's your girl AJ Andrews back with another amazing episode with another amazing barrier breaking woman. Today, I am so excited to not just talk about my mellow win, but to talk about my next guest, as she is someone that is truly unapologetic about what she feels is her responsibility to this world and to the game to be someone that breaks down those barriers because why not her? And this dives into my mellow win for the week. Me winning and my melanin and how I did it. This week, my mellow win is genuinely the fact that I have been able to move throughout my day to day with just so much gratitude. And I've been, I felt so grateful and appreciative of so much in my life. There's been some times in some situations in which the universe, you know, the world sometimes may feel like it's conspiring against me. And there's situations in which I could look at it negatively, right? Or I could go about it and have this attitude where it's kind of like, ah, oh, why is this happening? Right. Instead of why me this week, I chose a try me attitude. I was so grateful and still am so grateful for all the things that have come my way and that are still preparing to come my way. I I look at it as when things didn't happen the way that I wanted them to happen. My new mentality is this is could only be setting me up for something greater And for that, I am grateful. I am grateful for what it is I'm going through right now because without this situation, without this trial, I would not be able to have the drive, the motivation, and just the passion to create what it is that I'm about to create that's going to be twice as big as whatever I thought that I wanted. And that grateful attitude, that gratitude that I found It's just come with ease the more I practice it, just like anything, right? Anything we practice, we get good at. And there's times when maybe the frustration begins to sink in. And I just begin to just find one thing that, well, all right, I just dropped my keys after a long day. But you know what? I got a car, a new car, and I love this bad boy. Once I get inside, I'm about to drive off. Finding the smallest thing to be grateful for. Or I look in the mirror and, you know, my... Hair isn't doing what I asked it to do today, but my eyebrows are really on point. I am grateful for that. When things aren't going the way that I want them to go, I find the opportunity and find situations in which I am grateful for it. And what it is this shaping me for? Because I think there's been this past week or two, I've had situations and instances where I've been disappointed with the results. I've been disappointed with the actions of some people, with the actions of some organizations And I found myself asking why a lot. I don't understand how this could be happening. But then I remember what it is that I want to do, what it is that is truly driving me, what is my purpose that I feel and what is my passion. And that 100% is to uplift, motivate, inspire, and just encourage more women in this world to break down barriers and to not apologize for doing so or wanting to do so. And I felt and realized that this trial, this disappointment had only set me up and just been that extra push 
that I needed this week to go move forward toward exactly what it is I know I'm supposed to be doing. So gratitude, that is my mellow win for this week. And I honestly want this to be my mellow win for every week because I absolutely feel like I am winning in my melanin when I am grateful for all it is that is coming my way. And speaking of someone that is grateful for the trials and tribulations that she has encountered in her life, my next guest, Rachel Balkovic, she is truly someone making waves in Major League Baseball, taking names and not apologizing for it, moving forward towards her goals and success, making history as the first woman to ever be hired as a minor league hitting coach in the Major League Baseball organization and with the New York Yankees. So excited for you guys to listen to this next episode, excited for you to get inspired educated and just uplifted and to know that this mountain any difficulty you have in your life it was purposely assigned for you to be moved find some gratitude in that and know that it's only pushing you more towards your greatness and more towards your purpose catch you at bbw's on this next episode you know my favorite women in the world are the bbw's very breaking women this woman is an NCAA Division I softball player, former Division I softball player at the University of New Mexico. She first made history in 2014 when she was hired by the St. Louis Cardinals as a minor league strength and conditioning coordinator. And then again, made history in 2019 when she became the very first woman to hold a position in the MLB as the first woman hired by a major league team to coach full time as a minor league hitting coach. Very breaking woman. Rachel Balkovic. I am so excited to have you. You are so excited. I'm, I'm going to just assume that you only get excited for me and not all your guests like that because you're over the top, but I love it. And I'm excited to be here and, and be with one of, you know, an athlete that I came across early in my career. And now to see you doing what you're doing is just incredible. And the fact that you even have this podcast is incredible. So we're both excited. Well, I hate to break you. I'm over top for everyone just because I <laughs> I was like, wow, really... she is really excited. It must be just for me. So... <laughs> I just love meeting women that are completely badass, breaking barriers left and right. And as you said, I actually got to meet Rachel in 2011, my freshman year, Louisiana State University, where she was getting one of her two master's degrees. <laughs> And I was able to experience how amazing of a coach she is that led her into the success that she has today. And Rachel, the first question I want to ask you that I ask everyone that comes on my podcast is how did you Mella win this week? Because as athletes, coaches, we are so focused on the big picture or moving to the next that we sometimes don't celebrate the little victories. Well, how did you Mella win this week? <laughs> wow, that's a really tough question, but a good one to ask. You know what I did that I, I'm just focusing a lot more on, and I think we all could do a better job of is I had my first off day in six weeks. And wow. Because we had we're spring training just ended and we're getting in the flow of another camp and with some of our younger prospects. And I kind of just took a quiet day for myself and that was a win, you know, and I I didn't go into work, which I normally would every single day. And I caught up with my parents and I caught up with my boyfriend. I caught up with a couple of friends that I haven't talked to. I've always thought this way, but I think just I get better and better at just the mental health and the slow down part, because as you mentioned, we're always the big picture. We got to go, go, go athletes, coaches, high level sports. So I think it's a win when we can actually just like control that and take a step back. So that's my win. 
I think that that is a phenomenal win. That was my win a few weeks ago because I'm one of those people where even if I am resting or I'm taking a nap, I'm just like, there's something I probably could be doing. Mm-hmm. I'm always thinking on to what it is. Sitting still bothers me. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to understand that that is really the only way that I can revamp and get ready to go hundred miles an hour the next day or the day after that. And with you as someone that's on the go, making moves left and right, is it okay if I get up in your business? <laughs> get up in my business. Go ahead, girl. All right. Winning in your melanin, slowing down, taking a day for yourself as an athlete or as a coach that's always on the go. I want to talk to you about one, what is your power song that allows you to keep moving and grooving every day? (laughs) Like, honestly, I think the top 20, you know how Spotify does like the top 20 or the top songs of 2020 or whatever. They do your top songs of the year. For sure. I think my highest played song on there is Savage by Beyonce and Megan Thee Stallion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I know you know that song because I know you're the Yonce of softball. So let's not get twisted. Honestly, it's like I could probably put that on repeat just forever. Like, I don't know if I ever need <laughs> another song, but I have to pull myself away sometimes. So that's like a kick ass song for me. So, oh, no, that's a perfect song. I first of all, I'm really good at the TikTok dance now, too. What I jumped on that? There's a TikTok. I'm not. You're younger than me. I'm not as good at the TikTok thing. I'm getting better, but I'm definitely, uh, I haven't done any dances yet. You would love it. It's kind of, it was one of the trends that started like in the beginning of quarantine. So it's, I don't know if it's really a thing anymore. Oh, that's, but so, that's, so, that's so like six months ago. I don't even, right? no, that's, that's way past. That's old in TikTok days. No, can't do it. What would you then say as you are just a savage all around, walking around, doing your thing. What is your hack that allows you to maintain or stay on schedule and just not get overwhelmed with the grind every day? My hack in life, like I don't think a lot of people do this. I've been I've been forced into and chosen to do some sabbaticals, like taking time away. And because I've done that, when I first started doing that, that was 2015 or 16. I took a month long road trip up the West Coast. Baseball kind of allows for that because you have a true off season. So we've got three months where it's like we could have worked remote like before. So everyone's working remote now. It's kind of like it was just off season time for us, basically. But now every time I have that opportunity, I take it. You know, I kind of like I look forward to the off season and I just say, like, I'm gone for a month. You can contact me, but like I'm on a 15 hour time difference. Like, don't think that I'm going to be at your beck and call. So I think taking a sabbatical and obviously not everyone has the luxury of taking a month long trip, you know, anywhere, but take the sabbatical of a day to take a weekend, take, for God's sake, take an hour, you know, take, if you're a mom or whatever you're doing and you're too busy, take the hour and work out and do something for yourself for mental health. I think that really does. Like you said, it allows, what allows me to do, to go through stretches of time where I'm just like blacked out doing work is that I step away, you know, like I'm, I also am totally okay with stepping away from doing that where I think some people in the way that you get burnt out is you're going hundred miles an hour for days, months, years, possibly decades on end. And then people wonder why people are out of, out of shape physically, mentally not doing well, relationships are suffering. So I think that my secret sauce is that I'm okay. I'm definitely a workaholic at the core, but I've I've honed the skill of just like putting it away 
I mean, I went back to school for my second master's degree in Europe. If you want to talk about a sabbatical, I mean, I was still doing a lot of work, school work, but I was removed from high level sport and man, whew, that was a great break. You know, what definitely was not a vacation. And I was like studying physics, which was not a vacation at all, but, um, just the time away from the high level sport and that high level stress for a year, it just, it allowed me to kind of dive back in and get back into it with, with the same amount of fervor and zest and energy that I had maybe at the beginning of my career. So I think really just finding that time for a sabbatical, whatever that means to you, even if that's the hour for your personal workout, make sure you don't cut that out. I love that. Yeah. Physics. I don't know that that word sounds, you basically just spoke I don't a foreign language to me. I, I still don't, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. What would you say in your career, whether it's from coaching to playing that led you to your journey now, what was your most embarrassing moment you've had and what did it teach you? I mean, got a lot of embarrassing moments, lots of them, but what I, I'll, I'll kind of like take a route that might, might resonate with some of the listeners, definitely any athletes out there. I would say that like, I was very embarrassed about my softball career for a long time, actually, because I went to a division one school in Omaha, Nebraska, first a private school called Creighton. And then I transferred to New Mexico, but my career actually ended from the yips. So for any listener who doesn't know what that is, it's basically you just like lose the skill of throwing after, you know, I played softball my entire life and I all of a sudden couldn't throw back to the pitcher because really because of anxiety. And I, I don't, I'm not an anxiety ridden person, but I just had performance anxiety, something that actually is talked about all the time now, mental skills coaches and breathing. And that wasn't a thing when I was playing, uh, definitely wasn't talked about. And it was really embarrassing because I was this really talented athlete and I definitely was physically capable of getting the job done, but I couldn't do it. And so I kind of, I was this like, uh, not definitely not like, uh, SEC caliber, like you are, or your sister, I think is a very successful also softball player at LSU, right? Yeah, she is. So <laughs> definitely not that caliber, but I was, I was good enough to really be competitive at the high level from a physical standpoint. And I just couldn't get it done on, on the softball field, which really was quite embarrassing. And what I learned from it is though, that all that time that I spent, I mean, it was really honestly, it was depressing. It was really a sad time in my life. It was very embarrassing. Like I felt shame for my family because my family had poured so much time into developing me as a softball player and the tournaments and, you know, everyone knows, but like no one really cared. Like I, I look back and I thought everyone like was probably talking crap about me and didn't like me and all this stuff. And it's like, no, actually I was still a good teammate. I worked my ass off. I had a positive attitude. I contributed to the team. Um, my parents didn't care whether I was a good or good softball or not. They wanted me to get good grades and be a happy young person and like go on with my life and have an incredible professional career. So I look back and it's like, I don't, you, you think everyone's looking at you in your most embarrassing moments. And even if they are like, everyone is going through something embarrassing, probably right now, you know, but just no one talks about it. I think that when it happens to an athlete though, it's public, you know, if somebody is going through something embarrassing or or depressing or sad or any kind of failure. Most people get to do that in the comfort of their own homes, whereas athletes get to do that in a really public environment. So it's, it's a bit more painful and difficult to deal with. So I think that it's like the, the lesson back to the question, the lesson is uh, no one cares. Just like go about your business. It's like you fail. I mean, trust me, like, especially with social media nowadays, things just get buried. It's like, it's over, you know? So just move on about your day and, the faster you can turn around from your failures or your embarrassments. I mean, I think that's really the, one of the highest measures of success. 
one of my favorite quotes, I forgot who said it, but it was basically embarrassment is a choice, right? There's all these things that come around and happen to you, but you choose to be embarrassed by it. Or as you said, just, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. And to develop that same mindset for yourself. That is so good. Embarrassment is a choice. All of our emotions are a choice. And most of the time it's like, it's not about you. Like if somebody's saying something or thinking something about you, like, what do you think about you? You know, you, there's no, there's no right. need to have shame if they're, if you didn't do something shameful or there's not, or even if you did, you know, everyone does, everyone has failures. So that's so good. I'm going to use that. Thank you. Love it. BBWs just trading words of wisdom. <laughs> this is why I love talking to women like this. I want to pivot a little bit though, Rachel, when did you first fall in love with who you are as a woman? I, th- I would have to say it was probably the beginning of me falling in love with myself as a woman would be college athletics, because I think this is probably a really common experience for most female athletes. But in high school, you know, I was one of the best uh, athletes in my high school and I was buff. I was strong. I was tall, you know, and, and like in high school back then, anyway, that didn't make me popular. It made me taller than all the boys. It made me intimidating. I was really serious about sports. I didn't have a date to the dance. I didn't even go to the dances. Like I, you know, I just was pretty much, I was an outcast. I mean, I was a good athlete. So there was something, you know, there, but then I went to college and like that, it's like, you're the athlete on campus. You'd be going up, right. you got you go to all the cool parties. You get, you know, and I, I was like, wow, you know, and also the, the attention from men, which by the way, you never want to be a validated by attention from somebody else. But I was like, I used to hide my body and I used to be embarrassed that I, that I had muscles, you know, and then I went to college and it was all of a sudden celebrated, you know, and, and, and guys were like, Oh, this tall, athletic, strong, uh, you know, and I was like, just my type. I was like, Oh, <laughs> is this, is this a good thing? What's going on? So I think that probably college athletics was the beginning of that, but then it just, I think there's a movement we're fortunate. Both of us are fortunate to be just alive in a time where the conversation is changing. There's still a lot of filters and everyone has to have the perfect body and whatever, but the conversation is changing. And, you know, whether you like the Kardashians or not, the big bodies back, you know, like people are celebrating voluptuous women and big women and people we already mentioned about Beyonce, like great. And one of my favorite my idol, if you will, growing up was JLo. You know, I was like, I just love big women and Serena, like I've like the strong, big, shapely women were actually women that I kind of like looked to and probably saw myself in because I'm a big girl. You know, I'm five eight, I weigh 170 pounds, and I like I've always been very big and athletic. So I think that it took me a while, but college athletics kicked it off. And then being in strength and conditioning also, it's like your strength coach, you know, it's expected, it's appreciated when your strength and conditioning coaches are strong and fit. So I think that's part of it. But then also just society, you know, society has allowed that to change a little bit and more women are shouting from the hilltops. Hey, I'm, I'm bigger. I'm not the size two or I'm not the whatever, or, or I am the size two and I love it or what it's just really appreciating who you are and being unique and not fitting into a box. Uh, that conversation is, I would say, relatively new, especially for women. Yeah, I'm actually the same way. Did not fall in love with my body until college. And it was really the same situation where in high school or middle school, you know, my muscles were not celebrated yeah, the way muscles. that they were. You got the lean, t- muscular type. Yeah, absolutely. Very and just very defined. Like I could never lift a weight in my life, and I also have definition in my <laughs> yeah. arms. 
And so that was, you know, for me, it was a struggle. I used to always cover my arms mm-hmm. and, you know, it really was, it was almost like after a conversation with you, and it's actually interesting. And we, I remember squatting <laughs> and doing, I don't know, we were doing like overhead things. And I know my traps were starting to hurt. I'm like, oh my God, I do not want my arms to get bigger. Like I already had that, I had that mentality, like getting into college my first couple weeks. And you just remember, I remember you just telling me like, AJ, you can do more than that. AJ, you can do more than that. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I could, I could do more than that. And it was just like, it kind of forced me to think to myself what it is that matters to me, right? These individuals that I'll probably never see again from middle school to high school that had made me have this mentality towards myself, or do I want to be an All-American? And I can do more than that. And so, you know, that really honestly changed the trajectory of how it is that I viewed my body. And when I began to celebrate my muscles for the success that they were bringing me mm-hmm. and how I would never be able to be who I am today, had I not had them. Mm-hmm. So I completely agree. And so thank you for being in my life for that, oh my telling me I can do more. <laughs> I like, I like vaguely remember, I think it's faint. I vaguely remember that interaction, but I, I could be wrong. I think it was like, yeah, you were on like an end platform maybe. And I was like, I was watching you guys. I, I like vaguely remember that. Yeah. But you were always a strong, super strong, very muscular, very lean body type. And, um, you know, as you mentioned too, it's just really appreciating what your body can do. And you're like, Oh, okay. You know, if I can lift this weight and be athletic and, and really later in life, feel healthy and keep the same. I, I think I'm just as strong and just as fit as I was as a college athlete, maybe more because I'm eating better and probably cutting out a little bit of alcohol than yeah. <laughs> my college years. But yeah, it's just incredible to see what your body can do for you when it's truly healthy and fit. And you, and you love what it's doing. Yeah. Rachel, for you now breaking glass ceilings, breaking barriers in the world of Major League Baseball. Was this something that was always a dream of yours? Uh, Not baseball, not baseball. When I first kind of started following baseball, I thought it was really boring because softball so fast, you know, and I would go to the baseball game and I'd be like, with this shortstop just taking his dang time, like (laughs) the ball, take a couple shuffles, toss it up. And I was like, this is so boring, you know? And so I really, baseball wasn't on my radar, but when I was 10, I said that I wanted to be the first ever female kicker in the NFL. And you just think like I was 10, you know, and I somehow had this theory in me. I was always different. I was always athletic. I always wanted to beat the boys or play with the boys and kind of prove, prove that I could do it. And I mean, when I was 10, I said, I wanted to be the first female to do something. I don't know. I don't know how that came into my mind. I don't know how that popped in my head. So I would say I definitely always have had this longing to you know, impact the world to empower women. I was always that girl on the team that was like, Hey, you can do more. You know, I, I was always that way. I was always yeah. like, I was the one on the team that was like, you got this, like this, you're stronger than you think. Like this is literally, I mean, in every way possible, I've always embodied that. And that was from a very young age. And so I will say that I've always probably had it in me to do something like that. Baseball came along when I was at LSU you know, LSU has a great baseball program. And I had friends from New Mexico that were getting drafted, my guy friends. And I, I had no idea about my, the minor league system, none of that. And I started learning about the minor league system and the Latin players and Latin America. And I was like, whoa, I had no idea. It was really, I was very much fascinated with the player development side of things and the minor leagues. And so I became aware of that whole system. And um, I started looking for jobs. And once you know, Melissa comes in here. So 
or Melissa was a good listeners was the, is the director of Olympic strength and conditioning at LSU. And she was my boss. So I start looking for jobs innocently. I had no idea. And I'm looking for baseball strength and conditioning jobs. And I just started noticing there were no women's names, you know, of all of the people that was like, Hey, send your resume here. Send your resume. There were like no women's names. And I thought that's weird. I was so naive. And I walked into Melissa's office and I was like, Mel, did you, you know, are there no women's strength coaches in professional baseball? And she just laughed at me. And she was like, <laughs> she was like, Rachel, there are no women's strength coaches in all of men's professional sports. Like, you know, and I, I was shocked. So not only did I have that interest, but then when I found out that there were no women, I was like, oh, okay. Oh, let me just see if I can do this. And on top of me truly wanting to work in baseball, you know, it became also kind of a personal task. Like I knew I was capable. I knew I knew what I was talking about. I had already a great resume as a young strength coach going to LSU is incredible experience as a, any person who's in sports getting experience there is incredible. So yeah, I mean, I didn't always want to be in baseball, but I've always had, I think it in me to make change. I love that you took it personally. Like, no, (laughs) you know, it's like, really? All right. That's that's my time to shine. And it's my time to jump in there. And as you began to move toward, to me, what sounds like almost your calling, I just I don't believe in coincidences. You know, I believe everything folds the way it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. And you got your two degrees. You had five internships with baseball, but you were still being overlooked. And I think a lot of that can just come down to you being a woman. And I saw that you actually changed your name on resumes and changed the fact that you were a softball catcher to just you were a catcher Mm -hmm. and you started to see a difference in the feedback. Why was that your initial first thought? Well, it wasn't my initial first thought. I found out I was being discriminated against and what had happened was um, (laughs) so I left. Break it down. Yeah. So I, I left LSU and I did. I got an internship after LSU with the St. Louis Cardinals. And so it was, it was a short internship. I think it was four months, um, kind of a monthly stipend type of thing, but it was a big deal, you know? And I think at that time there weren't, there was one other intern girl who had been an intern. Um, so anyway, I was a big deal, a huge step for me. And at the end of that summer though, it's an internship, you know, the internship's over and they're kind of like, well, uh, we'll call you next year if we have another internship, which is never something you want to rest your hat on. So I moved on. I actually went to the Dominican for three months. That was the first time I went there. learned a lot there. I had learned a ton of Spanish my first year in baseball. Um, Come around the next year, I moved to Phoenix, thought I was going to start a PhD um, in nutrition. But while I was taking prerequisites, I thought, oh, I'll do another internship in baseball. And again, for the listeners who don't know, baseball is split into basically two locations, Florida and Phoenix. And so 15 teams have their headquarters in Phoenix, which means there's tons of opportunity for jobs there. So naturally I moved there in January, baseball season's about to kick up. There were like eight to 10 jobs posted. Well, I applied for all of them clearly, but let's do a little recap. At that point, I had worked at LSU for two years, worked for the St. Louis Cardinals, been to Dominican Republic, did an internship for a winter ball baseball team there, worked at Arizona State and worked at Exos. And I had this great resume for you know a young person. I didn't know that at the time. Applied for eight to 10 jobs, I got ghost, ghosted, just no, nothing. And I was like, in my little mind, you know, I was like, well, I guess I just have to work harder. And Do get more, work. Yep. Meanwhile, I picked up a waitressing job, started waitressing. I was taking some classes at Arizona state and I got a phone call midway through spring training. And they said, Hey, we, one of our guys quit. Are you still local? We really need somebody fast. I'm like, yes. So I interview with this team, uh, baseball team. And 
interviewed a couple of times. The guy said, Hey, you're the, you're the person we want to hire. I'll call you tomorrow. We'll get the paperwork started. I'm like, awesome. Everything's fine. Never hear from the guy. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Like he said that I'm hired. And then I never got a call back. So I followed up, nothing, nothing, nothing. A few weeks later, finally I get a phone call from him with some pretty devastating news. He basically just said like, Hey, this is really embarrassing. I'm very sorry to have to tell you this, but I wanted to hire you, but our organization ended up telling me that we weren't prepared to hire a woman. And I was like, well, that's illegal, you know? <laughs> so that's weird that you would tell me that. Uh, but he was apologizing. I mean, this guy felt horrible. He went yeah. on to tell me, he was like, my mom's a doctor. I love women. Like, I totally love what you're doing. But he just felt horrible. So he wanted to be honest, which I appreciated because I was so naive. Hmm. But in that moment, I was very naive and it went to a, a level zero of naivete. And then he told me also that the reason why it took him so long to call me back is that he had called all the other teams that had openings trying to help me. And they all said, oh, yeah, we got her resume, but we can't hire a woman, too. So not only was it just one team, it was many teams. And I, at that point, understood what I was up against. So the next year, I waitressed. I worked at Lululemon. I also did another internship at Arizona State with baseball and softball um, and women's soccer. So I used that year to continue to build my resume, decided against the PhD and, and to stay in coaching. And the next year coming around, I didn't just change my name to Ray out of nowhere. You know, it was because I knew then I was like, okay, like I know what I'm, is happening here. And I just was so desperate that I thought maybe if they just call me and talk to me, they'll be like, oh, oh, wow. You know, so talking about, so I was like, I just need a phone call with somebody. So I just put my name as Ray thinking like, at least I'll get on the phone with somebody. I'll have an opportunity to kind of chat with them. And it worked. So, uh, so I changed my name to Ray, changed softball to just like division one catcher. Just, I made my email gender neutral, all of it. And I got emails back like that, that was like, Hey, you know, Hey, we're interested. We'll call you whatever to set up an interview soon type of thing. And then very, very shortly, it was probably like a day after I submitted all these things, somebody called me and this is why I ended up changing my name back actually is because this person called me and they were like, Hey, I'm looking for Ray. And I, you know, of course I was like, Oh my God, it worked. Yeah. So I, I was like, this is she. And, and it just was so awkward, AJ. And, <laughs> you know, and he was like, Oh, uh, sorry. I, I thought I'd, I want to make sure I had the right name. And I, I just was like, this is the most awkward thing. And it, it ended up really badly. Let's put it that way. So it, and it didn't work. I didn't get the job. So I just, I got the phone. I was like, Oh my God, this is the worst feeling ever that I mean, literally this person wanted to hire me and then found out my gender and doesn't want to hire me. Right. And so pretty soon after that, I started responding to the emails with my actual name. And then those people never responded after that. So I just, it was like a really bleak time, obviously. And it actually got late in that next off season. And I thought I was going to be sitting out another year. And what happened then was in January, which is so late, like all teams have hired everybody by January because February is spring training. So I got a call from the Cardinals and of all things. So the Cardinals, the team had, that had hired me as an intern called me back and asked if I was interested in, in interviewing for the coordinator position. So again, to put this in perspective, I couldn't even get like a minimal internship because of my gender and the Cardinals who I'd worked for, who had seen me work and knew who I was called me to interview for a position that oversaw 250 athletes assisted majorly with everything oversaw 10 male strength coaches. Like it's the most responsibility in the organization. 
So, I mean, and also like those teams that would discriminate against me were probably shocked to see my name in that role the next year that I could even get hired as an intern and I got hired as the coordinator for the Cardinals. So Love to see that. like, yeah, the whole <laughs> year, I mean, 2013 was a pretty dark time, but just like anything else, I'm glad I went through it. I'm glad I know that pain. I'm glad I, I'm glad I had to add extra internships during that time and I'm better for it. So that was a long story to, to tell you the story of the infamous Ray that <laughs> never really existed. But my family still calls me Ray from time to time. So it's a family joke now. Honestly though, Ray, Rachel, <laughs> I think you proved a hundred percent the point though. You know what I mean? I think the, the story of I am qualified, really probably overqualified for this position. And you're only now changing your mind because a man didn't pick up the phone. I think it's very powerful piece that I think a lot of people probably have thought to do that never put into play. Yeah. Well, Rachel, I want to ask you though, through those times when, you know, it's dark and it, it feels probably frustrating and feels like moments where it's like, should I quit? Right. Should I just stop trying for this? How were you able to remain focused on your end goal and not allow that to keep you down? Well, you mentioned having a calling. And I think I was really just starting to, to firm mine up, you know, during that time. And that probably firmed it up nice and packaged it up nice and good for me because I really had to ask myself, you know, during that time I had just left LSU and Melissa was, I mean, Melissa probably texted me five times with different job opportunities because people would call her and she'd be like, well, I know this, you know, girl, but she's hell bent on baseball. But I had eight different division one schools contact me about positions as a strength coach in college. But what was happening was like, I was realizing all these colleges were wanting to hire me for women's sports. And I love women's sports and I was a female athlete. But especially at that time, even now, the ceiling in women's sports is a lot lower on, in most cases. And also I just thought, but I can work with men. So why, you know, why is every single person that called me, I would ask, I might be interested in this opportunity if you also add a male sport, because I can't be pigeonholed to just women's sports, especially even in college sports. The director of strength and conditioning overall is always the football guy. Yeah. Which is, which is, I think there's probably two head female strength coaches over football right now. Now, back then there were none. So I just was like observing the world going okay, I can either take the easy route and go get a college job, which by the way, they were SEC schools, big schools, good jobs. Or like, I just thought to myself, if I don't do it, when is the next woman with my resume? If my resume can't get in, who can can do it? Who's the next woman that has a better resume than me that's going to be able to get through the door? So then I kind of started feeling responsible. Like if I don't do it, I know it will, will get done. You know, I'm not saying I'm the only person in the world that could do it. But if I don't do it, when is the next time somebody with a solid resume like mine is going to come along to do it? I also knew I was capable. I know I'm professional. I know that I know what I'm talking about. I know that I could be successful long-term in the field. And I just felt like it was my duty. It was my calling. It's like, there's one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Buckminster Fuller. It's, it starts out and just says like, what is my job on this planet? And everybody has a job. Somebody's out there curing cancer and I'm glad. And my job, you know, compared to their job, my job's not important, you know, but, but somebody, somebody had to do it. And I just feel like truly I'm the best person for that job, both from that perspective in strength and conditioning. And then later on with the Yankees being hired as a hitting coach, 
I had excellent mentors being in baseball for six, six, seven years by that time. I know what I'm talking about. I was mentored by some of the best people in the game that oversaw the best offense in the game. And I just thought like, yeah, I speak Spanish, all of, all of it. I had the resume and I just thought if I don't, I could have gone scouting, I could have gone hitting. And I'm like, man, if I don't become a full-time hitting coach, when's the next woman with the ability to succeed like I have going to come along? And the answer is like, I don't know. And I can't live with that. So I just feel responsible. And I think that all of us should ask ourselves, what am I responsible for doing before I die that nobody else can do? And if you're not living that, then I feel sorry for you, number one. And also like, get on it. Like we need you, you know, whatever your special gift is, we need you to give that to the world and find a way to deliver that. And it's, it is, we all have a responsibility of some kind, whether that's being a mom or whatever, like whatever it is, give it, you know, because we need people to contribute. And I hope that this is my contribution. That's it. I think that that is so powerful when it just comes down to feeling responsibility of, I know that this is something that I'm meant to do. Cause I, I think those things like when you're, stepping into your purpose, it feels, it just like starts scratching at you. Like moments when you're like, okay, maybe not. It's like an idea pops into your head or like, well, maybe this, or maybe I should move on to that. Then some, you meet someone who's going to help you along. Like, I think every single time you step into your purpose, there's things that continue to show you why it is that you were assigned this to show it can be done. And I also believe you know, God wouldn't put that thought in your mind that you can achieve this if it wasn't something that you could do. Yeah. And I want to ask you from your mentality that you've been able to develop through all of your success, all of the work that you put in and showing that you are capable and that you are the woman for this job, changing the it is what it is mindset to it is what I make it instead mm-hmm. of believing that no woman can coach in Major League Baseball or that there hadn't been one yet. You refuse to accept that. And it is no more. It is what it is. It is what I'm going to make it. You put and you quoted, you said every person who was doing something out of the norm right now, undoubtedly was told they couldn't do it. And sometimes the only person you can listen to is yourself. What is one moment that maybe just sticks into your head? I feel like sometimes we all have one word or person or situation where someone doubted you or made you feel like you were not able to reach what you know you can do. And you just prove them wrong. And you knew you would. I mean, let me count the time. I was going to say your top, uh, top two. <laughs> I mean, definitely like a lot when I was first getting in, I, I don't even remember a single person that was like, Oh, you want to be in professional baseball? That's a good idea. I mean, everyone I told everyone, I mean, I can't remember a person, not my parents, not anyone that was like, that's great. Go do that. Actually, you know, Melissa actually was very supportive. I, I think Mel's just such a nice person. She probably yeah, was she like, is. that's great. Do that. And I left and she was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but God bless her for that. But I think that when I first got in, nobody thought it was a good idea. And even people really close to me, I had a boyfriend at the time that was like, oh, well, they're never going to respect you. And they're, they might let you be an intern, but they'll never hire you full time. That's an age. Well, I mean, just hey. say, like, <laughs> like, I just had so many people say it's not a good idea. And I don't, man. Now, more recently, and I just want to say like, uh, it just, you just gave me the chills when you said the getting rid of the, it is what it is to, it is what you make it. And like, I've made it, you know, like, I don't, yes. 
I made it happen. I willed it into existence. And I think that as many good things that are happening right now with, with creating more diversity and inclusion, I say this and not to be rude to anybody out there who's had a different experience, but it's like, I'm glad I was discriminated against. I, that, it made me wor- work 10 times as hard and I'm better for it. And so the second wave, so once I decided to cross over from strength and conditioning to hitting, I started telling people, you know, I, actually, I want to be a general manager. And I was like, I want to be a GM. And the first step of that is to be a hitting coach so that I can get a really close look at evaluating players, understanding moves, understanding trades, un- just trade value. I mean, so many more things than the, just the sports performance side, just getting a closer look to the game. So I told people I wanted to be a GM. And then I said, I'm going to go to Europe and go back to school and become a hitting coach. And everyone was like, excuse me? Like, what did you just say? You know, because if you want to be a general manager, I mean, in all sports, you go, okay, I want to be a GM. I'm going to go be a scout. I'm going to do analytics. I'm going to do numbers and business, right? And I said, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go to Europe and then I'm going to go, you know, study uh, biomechanics, then I'm going to go to driveline and do research and eye track, and then I'm going to be a hitting coach. And then I'm going to, and people just were like head spinning. Right. And so I think that you need to know your chessboard. And if you know what you're doing, have selective hearing. Cause you don't, why are you trying to explain, yeah. why are you trying to explain your vision of something that's never been done to anyone? Cause it's never been done. So all they're going to say is that's never been done. How are you going to do that? Or, or the worst one is I could never do that, which you're like, yeah, I know you couldn't do it. You ain't me. I don't care what you <laughs> can do or can't do. I, I know myself. So you have to know yourself and know the chessboard that you're playing on because most people, you know, there's plenty of songs and rap lyrics and all this stuff like, Hey, this is chess. This ain't checkers. Okay. So you go play checkers over there in your straight little line and I'm going to be playing chess over here. And in 10 years, we'll see where we're at. So I think that it's just being convicted and for me, I mean, I gave up everything. When I say everything, I mean, like last year at this point, I love to share these things. I don't feel shame about this last year at this point, or maybe a few months before. So February, let's say 2020, right before I showed up to spring training, I had a max out credit card and $0 in my bank account. I mean, I overdrafted my account. Like the day before the first Yankees paycheck hit my account, I overdrafted my account. And that might sound irresponsible, but what what had transpired basically two years prior, I decided to go back to school and I looked at my savings, which most people would take a savings that I had and put a down payment on a house and get, you know, get a dog and do whatever. And I looked at my savings and I was like, all right, bye. You know, I I just paid school, moved to Europe, moved back, went to driveline, did research at driveline. I was an intern making 1800 bucks a month in Seattle, which is nothing. I'm like, I depleted my entire life savings to do that. But when you think about it, it's like I depleted my entire life savings and I maxed out my credit card and I made history. And as I'm doing this, my parents are like, uh, what are you doing? And I'm like, I got it. I got got it it. in my head. I was like, do I have it? Do I have it? I don't know. I don't know. And then when I got hired by the Yankees, I was like, I knew the whole time, you know, This is a part of the plan. Yeah, you just didn't know. Okay, I knew. <laughs> this is literally the like exact conversations I have with my parents whenever I'm doing something that they don't understand or they don't. They're like, AJ, are you sure? I'm like, look, I got it. Don't even like, actually, I'll tell you about it in a couple months when it's done. Because <laughs> yeah. right now, I don't need anybody taking me off track with what yeah. I'm doing. I'm good. Yeah, You are 
a full inspiration because I think when you know what it is that you invested into yourself, right? And it seems scary to take those leaps. All I think so many of us can att- attest to that. It's scary to step into the unknown, but you did that with full faith of where you knew you were going. You didn't know how you're going to get there, but you knew you were going to end there. What was your best bit of advice or something that you stuck by, something that kept motivating you every day to know that you were going to get there? You know what I did? This, this all full circle comes back to, I had, um, I, I still have them in my, right now in my bedroom, in my closet. So I see them every day right next to my clothes that I wear to go to the field. I have one paper that says be a GM. And it's like literally scratched on a piece of note paper that I probably need to frame so it doesn't fall apart soon. But I wrote it when I was in Amsterdam and it's like, people are like, oh, you went to Europe for a year? That's so cool. And I'm like, no, wait, wait just a second. I went to Amsterdam and it's like, there's the least sunshine in the world there, right? And it's like rainy, cold. And by the way, everyone rides bikes in that country. So if you don't know, like there's more bikes than there are cars. So you commute by a bike. So it's like, it's the winter time and I'm riding my 30 minute commute in 35 <laughs> degree weather, weather and it's raining and it was not glamorous. And then you come out from class and my freaking tires flat. And you, it was just, honestly, it was like being, even being in Amsterdam, I just midway through, I thought, oh my God, what did I do? I left the Houston Astros who had just won the world series, debatable whether or not they cheated, whatever, not going to get into that. But like, I had just gotten a world series ring and I quit my job, moved to Europe. Like I'm over there. No one even knows what baseball is over there, you know, and I'm doing this this degree. And even in the middle of that, I just like, I was like, what am I doing here? And I just wrote that be a GM, be a general manager on a piece of paper, stuck it next to my refrigerator there. And then I also wrote that quote by Buckminster Fuller. That is what is my job on the planet? What is it that needs doing that? I know something about that. If I don't do will not get done. And that's it. And I I just like, I get chills even saying that because I took those pieces of paper when I moved to Seattle to go to a driveline and do research. And I put them on my wall. When I got hired by the Yankees, I brought them to Tampa. I moved to Australia this off season, which again, seems glamorous, but like, wasn't that glamorous. Moved to Australia to coach this winter, missed Christmas, missed everything, moved again across the country. You know, there's, these are a lot of personal sacrifices. And I take those two pieces of paper with me everywhere I go. And it's really in my heart and my mind as well that like, when things get rough, if you don't have a guiding light or a purpose, you will give up. If it, and also if it's just for you, you know, if it's just because you want to look good or because whatever, you, if it's selfish reasons, you will give up. But if it's your purpose in life and you're doing it truly for the, the good of the world, your community, your family, whatever that might be, it's a lot harder to give up when you know that other people are counting on you or when you feel responsible. So I think that having that guiding light and that purpose and knowing that this is, I feel like I'm the only person in the world that can do it in the way that I do it. So it's not like a, an arrogant thing. It's like, it's a responsible thing. Like I got to do this because I don't know who's going to come behind me and do it in the way that I'm able to do it. So I think it's just coming back to purpose. We've been talking about that a lot. And to me, it sounds like you're manifesting everything it is that you are truly supposed to be. And I think it's so amazing writing down your goals, writing down what it is that you want, saying it every morning. That's something that I really dove deeper into the beginning of quarantine, because I was at a crossroads at that point. 
and just trying to figure out what is it that I want to do. And I just wrote down, I watched this video and it's like, don't uh, don't write down what you want to do. Write down what you're passionate about. Write down what you enjoy. And from that list is what you'll find what you want to do or what you need to do. We know what you're meant to do. And it really just became clear to me from doing that. And that's when I began to write almost every single morning, say my affirmations every day and have a clear goal as into what my end goal is. And that sounds to me like you are home. I just, I feel like nothing can stop you. I'm just like, the power is just eating away through the uh, the computer. And I can just feel like, I just know you're going to do this. And I don't know what timeline you have for yourself, but I'm feeling like three years. I don't know. It feels like it's so close. Just the power and the confirmation in your voice. Yeah. It's just a matter of time, girl. Anyone, all you BBWs, all your goals. (laughs) It's just a matter of time. Melanated and celebrated. Rachel, celebrating your long road to the success that you have today, the success that is yet to come, that is on its way. When you were hired full-time to be the minor league hitting coach by the New York Yankees, Dylan Lawson, who was the hitting coordinator, said you were probably overqualified for the job. You are someone that has earned this through and through, just like anyone else. From your experience when you first started, do you have any stories or situations in which you had to kind of check somebody? Like, listen, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Many, many times recently, more than anything. So when when I was hired by the Yankees, the world blew up and the press and media and whatever. And, but I had already been in professional baseball for seven years, mm-hmm. but when, I mean, to put it in perspective though, AJ, when I got into professional baseball, I didn't have an Instagram, you know, so the social media thing, the way that news travels so fast, you know, and also just celebrating women. Like when I was hired by the Cardinals, I was the first ever full-time strength the addition coach in the history of the sport. And nothing happened. Like I didn't get any, nobody, you know, eventually MLB sent a crew down like six months in. Cause they didn't even hear about it. They were like, wait, there's a woman working as a strength coach. And they, it was just such celebrating women in sport specifically. And just in general was not a thing. Women's marches right. weren't happening. Me too. Hadn't happened, you know? So fast forward, I get hired by the Yankees. Well, now it's a different time. There's social media. There's a New York times article that got retweeted like a million times. So it's like, it just exploded. And so now everyone thinks that this is my first year in baseball. You know, there's been several almost major interviews too, where they're like, you know, how was your first year in baseball? And I'm like, <laughs> like this is my 10th year. Release, yeah, tenth. release the paper and it just falls I know, rolling I'm all like, over the just, floor. <laughs> I'm like, this is my 10th year, you know, but, but thank you for thinking that I'm a 24 year old college grad. I appreciate that. <laughs> You know, so I think that I've had to correct that a few times, but I like appreciate it. I'm like, wow, it it just reminds me like how cool that is that the world has changed so much that now that like this has happened, like there's so much celebration now with my second hiring than the first time. So I'm living in change. Sometimes I'll have fun with it, but really, you know, and and there I would do want to tell a fun story. That's not a fun story (laughs) that uh, I got a random text message last fall. And it said, Hey, Rach. And I was like, Hey, who is this? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, I'm a, I'm a current major league baseball player. And I wanted to send this message to you to let you know that you need to quiet down on social media and uh, stop complaining on social media about not being accepted, blah, blah, blah. Because sometimes I do share, you know, about being discriminated against or whatever things that have happened along my journey. And he basically, this is a current major league player that did not know who he was talking to. 
and thought wow. that I basically was six months on the job, a young 24 year old that had nothing, had done nothing and was complaining about not being accepted. And I, I, it became very clear that that was going on. So my first reaction, and I want to share this because I encourage people to approach these situations with empathy. My first reaction, of course, was like, I will kill you. You know, I was yeah. like, oh, I will kill this. You Do know, you know like, who you're talking to? Earrings come off, you know, and I, my, that was my first reaction. But then I, I was like, Rachel, you know, let me just school this guy really quick. So uh, the conversation actually went on for a long time. And I, my first thing that I said back to him was, wow, thank you so much for reaching out to me to let me know, you know? And so really sarcastically, I was like, thank you so much for getting my phone number anonymously and harassing me about what I put on social media. Appreciate that. And I just, I thanked him. I said, I said, why do you, you know, why do you feel this way? And he was like, well, you haven't done anything in this game, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, my goodness, if you're going to get a phone number to harass somebody, you should Google them, you know? Right. And I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, I understand. Um, you know, I, I understand sometimes sometimes people can come off the wrong way on social media. And over my 10 years in the sport, uh, I've seen this happen, you know, so and so. So I just dropped that I had been in the sport for 10 years and he actually ended up apologizing. And he's like, oh, I just looked you up. I saw you at 33. I had no idea. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I think that the lesson behind the story is approach these things with empathy. And so if you're a barrier breaking woman or person of any kind, there is going to be hatred. There's going to be shade. There's going to be jealousy. There's going to be people, unwarranted strangers coming out of nowhere, especially with social media coming at you saying this or that, whatever. And I just look at those people and I'm like, oh, that's so cute. You don't know how to speak to a woman or that's so sad for you. You know, I hope you don't have a mom or a sister or a daughter, which everyone has right. a mom. So like, that's embarrassing for you. So I try to come with empathy and also just like, I don't, I don't think, especially when people are throwing shade my way about being a woman in this game, like that's sad for them. You know, I feel honestly embarrassed for that person and wow, to be the son of a mom or to have a, a wife or a daughter, like that's embarrassing for you. So I don't take it personally. I, I feel bad for that person. And on top of that, the empathy thing, there's been some situations where over the course of 10 years, you can imagine there's been some situations with colleagues or athletes that have not gone favorably. And I just think, again, it's my job to be the teacher and go, okay, you know, that wasn't how I wanted it to be, but I'm going to be here tomorrow and we're going to do this again. And you're going to learn how to respect me. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show you that I'm worth your respect, even though I shouldn't have to, but I'm glad that I have to earn people's respect over time. It's a blessing to have to earn respect and not just to walk in the door just because I'm a man who played professional baseball. I get, I get respect whether I'm good or not at my job. So I'm glad I have to earn it and that's fine. So I, I look at it with patience and empathy, maybe that I've developed more over my career probably wasn't always this empathetic when I was younger, maybe, <laughs> but uh, it's come with time. So and I think to your point, answering with empathy, because it's so easy to just come back with anger or, to counter the disrespect, right? With more disrespect. Mm -hmm. But I think the only way people actually learn from those circumstances is when you're able to, even though I don't feel like it's people's responsibility to educate individuals on certain things, but I also do feel like the only way to create change is to show that you are that change. And how can you do that except through the empathy and through the explanations? Rachel, throughout your journey and all of your success, 
and the respect that you have deserved, that you have earned, and that you are showing a representation to so many, not just women, people of what it means to stick to your goal. And no matter what, knowing that it is what you're meant for, your responsibility for it, and to never allow anything to retract you from that. What are you most proud of? You look at yourself in the mirror. You say, Rachel, I'm proud of you for what? Jackie Robinson's book, I Never Had It Made. And anyone out there listening, drop everything and read that. You know, it's just an incredible book, his auto, autobiography. I know the title of the book is I Never Had It Made. And we kind of remember Jackie Robinson as this smiling, like, you know, it's just like, everyone's like, oh, Jackie, you know, his number's retired and everyone wears his number once, once a year. And there's so much celebration. But if you read that book, he was in hell, you know, his career was hell. And he even retired early, earlier than he, than he had to, because it was so much stress on him and his family. And I just think like, I've gone through a lot of stress and a lot of hard times in my career, in my life, you know, my adult life. And I'm just like, I'm proud of myself for taking on the responsibility. And I'm proud of myself for not complaining about it and going, I'm honored to have a responsibility like that, you know? And he talks about it in that book. He's, he's like, I never had it made. My career was hellish. You know, he was, I mean, way worse than I have. Way worse, you know, heckled and all of the, the experiencing racism from his own teammates in the dugout. But I, he talks about having a purpose. He talks about he needed to do it. And he realized he couldn't quit. And he realized he couldn't fight back when he wanted to, just like we just talked about. And he wasn't a passive person. He was an aggressive person. So I think I'm proud of myself for accepting the responsibility and appreciating the responsibility and not complaining about it. I'm proud of myself. And making history (laughs) through all of that. (laughs) Rachel, throughout all of your success, the appreciation that all women, all hopefully men too, but people in MLB, because when you break down one barrier in a sport, that forces the other sports to have to start looking to make those barrier breaking moves as well. And so you making history, while it may seem like a big deal just in Major League Baseball, it actually is transcending into so many other sports, not even just sports, other sectors in the world. And I want to close with the quote of the week, which I want to say, I have these quotes in my mind before I speak to these barrier breaking women. And this one is probably the most fitting that I've had after our conversation today. And the quote that I want to leave all of you guys with is everyone isn't supposed to understand or even believe in your goals. God assigned you this mountain to prove that it can be moved. Remember that and keep moving. Every great success was once indeed was once deemed impossible until it was done. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, can you tell everyone know where we can find you, continue to follow your story and all of your success and your journey to becoming a GM? <laughs> I always say, if you can spell my name, you can find me anywhere, but it's at Rachel.Balkovec on Instagram. It's underscore Rachel Balkovec on Twitter. I have a website. I mean, honestly, if you got Balkovec, you can Google it and figure it out. I'm pretty, pretty accessible on as many channels as I can be recently on the TikTok. So Make sure to catch me there. No dances yet, but maybe you never know. So I'm, I'm out there. Thank you again so much for joining me, Rachel. You are truly the definition of a barrier-breaking woman. All of you amazing BBWs that are listening today, make sure you go subscribe, download, rate, and comment on the podcast. Follow me and Rachel on social, and I will catch all of you BBWs later. Keep mellow winning.